Do you just cry when you sit with the papers Thinking about what it's like and take away from us We're on a course for a head-on collision Scientists said this is what we've been missing Sorry that research is not for submission Friend Roger's dead and we'll be the one to listen Can't take the heat, now the planet is your kitchen She's like you're stuck in a contest of pissing Time to trade in Congress for a new edition to another episode of St. Pete's Pearls. Today is Friday, June 12th. I'm about to take off on the road I was going to leave today, but I was going to get out a little later than I intended. And to get to my next location, I did not want to be rolling in at midnight, so I'm going to take off first thing in the morning, so there's that. Now, if, if you live anywhere near or off of I-80... We're not too far there off of I-80 between Utah and Massachusetts. Let me know. Stop by, hook up, get you on here, or just catch up. I, I was thinking I, I was thinking recently, I attended, now this wasn't recently, over a year ago now, about a year ago, I attended a, like a corporate training kind of thing for our work. Not corporate training, it was just kind of our group training day for the the government when I was up there. And I actually liked it. It was one of those continual process improvement. I think in the Air Force, they took their own Six Sigma continual process improvement. Of course, they developed one for themselves. There's plenty out there. They called it like AFOS-21 or whatever it was. I'm one of those weird ones who actually enjoyed that course. Now, it might partly be because... I enjoyed going to the, I got my green belt in Six Sigma while I was going for my master's and I enjoyed that program or that class or whatever you would consider it. But I don't, I don't think so. I've been, I was thinking about it today. I, the reason I think I like going to that training because it was like an in-person, in-person training. The guy was entertaining. He knew what he was talking about. One of those few trainings I went to, I wrote the guy's name down and said, hey, look look into this guy because all too often we're not interested in that training I was interested because I kind of actually like those programs I like the idea of the con like the continual improvement the constant improvement and the way they approach uh, problem solving in the workplace especially how it looked like it was changing the the culture and the, the military or government right the military part of the government what I was involved in, right? Where it was less 
you know, pu- you were getting punished less and it was more, all right, let's see what this thing is. And you kind of, you look at your programs in a different way, more organically, you continually, like the, the idea is to continually improve them all throughout the year instead of waiting for that one suspe- inspection and fixing it all right then or just saying, hey, this is where we suck completely and we'll try to fix it. And then you push it off until three years later, the next complex, you know, inspection comes through. Anyways, <laughs> I just like the chord. Like I like the idea of, yeah, continually address it. And then it was more you were involved in the processes or the programs that you were involved with. Right? It wasn't just a spot check once a year, like, you know, when you go to the doctor. You were continually engaged with the health of the programs. I like that. But why I think, back to why I think I like that training was because it was in person, not on the computer. All too, all, like, nowadays all our training's on the computer. Maybe it was gearing us up for this COVID epidemic. Get us used to computer-based learning because we're all going to be stuck inside. I don't know. <laughs> I doubt that's the reason, but I hated doing that computer-based training. Oh, my God, what do you take away from it? And they have people getting paid buku bucks to develop these little, like, games, right? PowerPoint slide games. But then it kind of takes the importance of the training feel away, right? This isn't personable. My job doesn't care. They're going to shuck this out to me so they can check a training box. Uh, so I like the in-person training. It felt like... Like they wanted you more engaged with their programs. They got you more engaged with that training, a more personal approach, a more hands-on approach, and I liked it. So thinking about all the Six Sigma training and, you know, this being Friday, it is the sustainability segment. Last week we touched on kind of what is sustainability. And I did misspeak that Bruntland Commission report is like, I guess, 1987, that definition came out, but then they kind of used that in some proceedings when they started talking about policy issues on concerning the global environment and where we stood and really concerning, you know, defining the problem and stuff like that. They worked that definition in. So it came from 19. I'm not a journalist. Like I said, I'm a storyteller. I just try to bring these ideas up to spark more ideas and give you something to think about. Like I said last episode, give you 20 minutes or more a day where you're not getting drowned out by the madness that is otherwise on our media. Media streams. But it's more, (laughs) so in-person training, more personal approach. I like Six Sigma. Sustainability is important. I get, right. So the definition of sustainability that we touched on last Friday was, you know, acting in a in a manner today that would allow future generations to like live in the same comfortable manner, right? Managing our limited resources that we have, making processes more efficient and stuff like that. And this is why I like that Six Sigma because it was like all these kind of tools and frameworks in which to look at systems and our problems, underlying problems and ways to manage and figure out these things. And 
And we do have to do so actively, I think. That's what draws me to that continual process of improvement. We shouldn't just look at this once a year or whenever an election comes up or anything like that. We should be working on this all the time. And we do, right? <laughs> As a society, is continuing, you know, continual process that we all play a part in. But one of these tools that I like was the 5S tool. Because I like this because it's very applicable to, like, anybody. Anybody can use this tool. And if you ever want to feel kind of like instant justification, find a project in which you can apply the 5S tool. And the 5S's stand for, and this is when you want to make an, organ, you know, you want to get organized in life, right? So the 5S's is uh, sort, straighten, shine, standardize, and sustain. That five, that fifth S, sustain. And always the toughest one. Those other four are pretty simple, you know, depending on what you're cleaning up or, you know, reorganizing and whatever your obstacles may be. But in idea, right, in theory, those four are simple. Sort stuff out, straighten them up, shine them up, clean them, standardize them, put them in order. I just got a new bookshelf for the first time and I don't know how long. Like I think I was a kid living at home. We had bookshelves and maybe, yeah, that's it. And entertainment center that had a mix of DVDs and books on it. But I got my first bookcase in, you know, decades. And bringing it into the house, I had to, you know, sort all my books out, put them all out on the floor. Which ones are going to fit? They're not all going to fit in this one bookcase, so... Straighten them up, maybe. You know, I put them all kind of cut the sizes or whatever that is. Add them, you know, subject with fiction, nonfiction. Now start straightening them up what sizes are going where and get them in there. Clean them up. Standardize and make sure they're in the orders I wanted them in. Right? What shelves made sense? What was going to be relevant to nonfiction? And do I have other topics? Right? You know? I didn't go as far as creating a Dewey Decimal System. I don't have that vast a collection, a couple hundred. <laughs> but the hard part is sustaining all of that, is to, to put those books back where I got them when I am known to just leave stuff on tables. I get involved, I pull out this book and that book or just for a little nugget of information for these, and then it's hard to, to put them away. Or I don't always, right? That sustaining part's the most difficult is what I'm saying. But if you need something to feel instantly gratified, or that that's it right there. Because you see it, you see a project that looks neat and organized. I did to actually, as part of my class, we were supposed to take a tool something that we've learned and apply it to another area in our life, like help somebody out with that tool. A friend of mine had a very messy garage, so I applied the 5S tool to him. I mean, we set a date. We made a plan for this because it was a very messy garage. A lot of stuff just had to go. Right? So we got like a little portable dumpster kind of thing. Uh, we gutted his garage and... One afternoon, transformed it. Now, sustaining being the most difficult part, 
two months later, you'd never recognize we were even in there. But they're useful. He felt so much better about his garage, and he did maintain it. Yeah, a couple months. It, I'm sure it was probably a couple months where it stayed in good condition. I mean, it deteriorated, deteriorated, right? As it often does, and then it has that tipping point where it all just goes to crap again. Because that sustaining part is the hard part. But it's part of it, and this is why I like the idea of continual process improvement. We understand that. Sustaining is hard. Keeping that momentum, especially when there's other interests pulling us in other directions. We have limited attention, limited time, limited energy. Like the like the planet has kind of limited resources, right? And we have to do our best to manage that most effectively and efficiently. We can. And when it becomes very burdensome, right, when, like, it's damn near impossible to ever maintain anything clean in your house, let alone the garage, right, we need to maybe re-examine the underlying systems that, right, conditions of our life. And look at those policies we're in, right? What's pulling us away too much? Where is the distraction? If we need a clue on how to do that, so there's like an eight steps to policy analysis that might be helpful for that. And that's first you've got to kind of like define your problem. What's the problem? If you don't have a good definition, right, everything you're working for is towards what? You know, that's my question to you if you haven't defined your problem. So for my school project, for my friend and everything, we define the problem. You have a messy garage, dude. We got to get this thing cleaned up. All right. Let's assemble. And then step two in this whole process is assemble some evidence. You got to assemble evidence for like that problem. And, you know, uh, maybe solutions and stuff if you're already thinking that. But first we need evidence to that problem. Uh, evidence one, open garage door one. Yeah, it's filthy over here. Open garage door two. That's the long bay. Ooh, even worse, buddy. Maybe if you had a big boat taking up some space, it could be less dirty. Let's think about getting one of those in there. I'm free this summer. But open that up, it looks dirty, right? Evidence there for that, you know. So what's your evidence otherwise? Is it an environmental concern? Um, do we want to clean up the Great Salt Lake, you know, Test the water. What's it look like? Well, the rivers and streams that flow into it, because that's more of the water we would access. There's a lot of buildup, and right? you want the water from Salt Lake itself. But any of the water coming into it, we test the water. Is it that Gold King mine? Do we want to be drinking out of that? There's some evidence when those toxins were pouring into into the river that that water you wanted to stay away from, right? Whatever you can serve as, ga gather your evidence. This is the problem, right? River's filthy. Looks like we didn't have good containment. We didn't have a good plan in place. Or our plan went to shit because faulty equipment, because we were saving a few bucks, or we just didn't care because regulations aren't our number one concern, profit is. Whatever it is. But can, well, construct alternatives. 
right, to the current situation and outcomes, right, alternative situations. Because we can't, we're not going to definitely do just one thing, right? But there's some, put some options on the table. Now, when you start seeing these options, select criteria, you'll start kind of selecting them by, right? Like our garage instance, what's an alternative to cleaning? you got to clean this, dude. We can clean it. We can have somebody else come and clean it. You can hire that, right? You could do a poor job. You can do a better job, right? What do you want? Like, what are the alternatives? What do you want your garage to function as? Is it going to maintain a garage? Right? All these options can get thrown out there. Do you just want to get rid of your garage altogether? Put something else in its place. Who knows? Throw, be, get crafty, but then right now we're getting into select the criteria which we'll base our decisions off of, right? Those won't all hold equal weight, and they're all based off of different things, right? So we're going to have to start kind of narrowing things down, selecting some criteria that we want. Now, and this go go back to defining your problem. What was the problem? What might be some desired outcomes? Right, and this kind of like the next step is project your outcomes. What will some of these outcomes look like if we do option A, option B, option C, or a mix of two or three or all of it based off of our criteria? What are our projected outcomes? Is it going to look like, is this garage going to look like a workshop? Is it going to look like a little man cave? What's it going to look like? A mix of both? Since you had that deep bay, can you you can do both. Step six is confront trade-offs. There's gonna be some trade-offs here. And if I demolish the garage, it's never coming back. Right. And there are always trade-offs. And, and this is another important thing to consider is that there are always trade-offs and policy is never perfect. And policy, by the time it reaches practices, far less perfect than it ever was previously. Right? It's written up and then it's contested and argued and adjusted. And then even after it's agreed upon, it probably gets adjusted even more. So it looks nothing similar. But this is a continual process. That's why we keep it up and keep adamant. Push for policy changes, right? Push for continual improvement. We want to improve in all this. Because the trade-offs for not improving a dire, right? When we start, when we continue to operate on this planet as a collective species, right, in a manner that we have shown through evidence, right, that we cannot sustain infinitely, or how, right? make it more comfortable as we go forward. The trade-offs are a lot worse, right? A lot more suffering. It'll be a lot more uncomfortable for future generations, which is, for us, hard to consider. I get that. But we have to consider those trade-offs. I think if we're going to be honest about the whole situation. Then we have to just kind of make a decision and go with it. Tell your story. What happened? This is what we came. This is what we came up with. Step eight. Tell it all. This is what it looked like. This was idea, idea, 
This is what we put forward. This is what it looks like in the end. And if it's not good, start the process all over again. Or find another tool. But if we think about, now we think about the collective, what do we do with all this? Yeah, we want to change policies around policing. We want to improve our policies around the environment. I would think as a collective, that's kind of like a shared interest of us all. I would hope we could agree. You know, the very thing that sustains our life. Where should our policies take us? SmartGrowthAmerica.org has an idea. This concept of smart growth is just kind of looking and consider the way we develop our communities, our spaces, shared places, places we live, places we shop. The policies we develop, what are they saying? How do we look at those? We need kind of a framework to go off to help us maybe define the problems and look at some solutions. Now, there are examples of these ideas all over the world, some of them throughout, a lot of them probably all we can see these examples throughout our own country. The smartgrowthamerica.org is actually partnered up with over 30 of the states across the country. Utah not being one of them. Maybe some of the organizations they partner up with help consult here in, in Utah and Utah cities, you know, use different firms and look for information when considering their policies. I don't want anybody to think that I don't, I'm saying policies do not get enacted in our favor and we're not considering smart growth or anything like that. But I, what I'm trying to say is that what we definitely need more of it. And I think the only way we get that is if we, we, you know, citizens start advocating for some of these ideas. That is, if you agree with them. Advocate for whatever your idea is. Again, you don't have to take my ideas. I'm just presenting my story, my ideas, my evidence of what I've seen, experienced through my 40-plus years, right? I agree with a lot of these principles, if not all of them. Um, they make sense to me based off of other things I've seen and evidence of us, you know, our current course. So they have 10 kind of like defined goals, I guess, uh, or 10 principles. Here you are, 10 principles that will help you understand the foundation of smart growth. And then they have kind of four levers or functions in how they advocate this organization, how they advocate for these 10 principles. The first principle being mixed land uses. This is me... This just means mixing uh, homes, offices, schools, parks, shops, restaurants, and other types of development near one another in the same block or sometimes in the same building, right? making it convenient. They argue that this improves safety, supports the businesses. You know, you get increased commerce because you, you live in where you could be shopping. It is not an inconvenience to go out and run an errand. 
right? And then when you do, you're not driving to go do so, so, right? Mixed land uses. So if we develop, like if we're considering policy going forward, mixed land uses is something to consider. Making things more walkable, live closer. A lot of these 10 principles touch on that, right? Take advantage of compact design. It doesn't, this is the second one. Take advantage of compact design. This is kind of like infill, and I think Ogden does a great job of that, or it looks like it has been, or at least has been trying. The front gym at the Canner, Amher Sports, you know, the, the independent shops that pop up through the buildings down there at 25th Street, historic 25th Street. The Argo House reusing some of these spaces, some of these historic sites. Saving the infrastructure that's already there instead of going out and sprawling out and disturbing land that doesn't need to be disturbed. We There's land around Moab area that we don't want disturbed by energy companies, do we? But it looks like wheels are in motion to where they're going to lease some land and they're going to dig it up. And now environmental protections are kind of out the window right now. So the sooner they get in, they're not responsible for any mess they might make down in Moab. Now, I don't think that a company will go in there and act haphazardly and irresponsibly like that. But there's nothing really kind of preventing them from if we're willing to ignore environmental laws and protections because we want to declare a state of emergency because we want to get the economic or whatever that is to make that look good. But what are we taking off the back of future generation, our generation now, the people who live in Moab? But back, but like Ogden does infill well, right? They fill in those buildings, reuse those. One day maybe they'll shut down the dog food cannery and turn that into a bright, beautiful, I don't know, botanical garden. Indoor botanical thing. I don't know. Inside nature center, because we're going to have to start viewing all our nature from inside if we keep trying planet the way we are. Uh, uh, the next one is create a range of housing opportunities and choices. You know, make, like, we're talking more equitable now. Considering different stages of life and income levels, integrating all of that into our communities. Not segregating them out. Right? Not redlining districts or whatever that is, right? Investing in equal economic opportunities for all. Costs of living that make sense. That you can still work a service job in a city and live there. You don't have to add a three-hour train commute out of the city to find affordable living. We have to agree that if it's important for that person to be there performing that function that it's important enough for them to be able to live near their family and access, you know, <laughs> good times like that, right? Why why does it have to come off of their back so you can enjoy a, a good time now, so you can live in a walkable city? I don't know. I hope they're making advances in San Francisco and New York. I'm sure they are. Some forward-thinking communities, but there's still a long way to go. Another one in the, so in the same vein right, is mixed land uses, compact design is create walkable neighborhoods. We touched on that. You want to be able to get around, but this is also increasing like walking lanes, right? creating the infrastructure there, adequate lighting and pathways. and There's ways to consider that, light pollution and everything. There's a lot that goes into these policy decisions, and there are a lot of trade-offs to consider. 
if we're willing to consider alternative ways forward. Number five is foster distinctive, attractive communities with a strong sense of place. Another thing I think Ogden does well. Still untamed Ogden. It has the historic 25th Street. And this is something I've realized, that places with historic districts seem to do this better than others. I don't know, maybe. I witnessed this out, and I think it was Sam Sacramento. They had, like, a kind of old historic district but everything had a certain look in that at least section of town park city does as well ski town stuff like that branding they want it to look however they want it to look but it it creates a look a sense of place this is you know park city and maybe any other ski town that has a little money but to some it's attractive distinctive to a degree Park City, right? No, but I mean, we can be distinctive. Keep those independent shots. Keep those local businesses alive. That's important. We talk about that a lot on this show. Create that vibrant community. And I think, like I said, I think Ogden does that better than most places. You know, and it's for, you know, because of the live music scene, the live art displays, the openness to the farmer's markets and creative crafts. It's a culture. It's an identity they have set. And it's beautiful. And it fosters a vibrant, strong, resilient community. And we're seeing that right now in the heart of all this COVID epidemic. Seeing people really come together. And it is when ideas like this kind of emerge. Whether that was a pre-policy planned in decision, or if that is just the local culture. Six, number six is preserve open space, farmland, natural beauty, and critical environmental areas. This is why we want the energy companies to stay away from Moab, Staircase Escalante, all of that. Stay out. We've got enough oil. We already have holes dug all over the world. You're fracking, you're doing enough... Uh, Smart growth, there's renewables, there's sunlight coming down, hitting us fresh today. We don't have to hit we don't have to dig up the sunlight that hit billions of years ago. There's sunlight that we can capture right now. And that won't cause nearly the emissions that we're causing with these combustion engines. But we want to protect these environmental areas, farmlands, open spaces best we can. And Another And one way we have to really preserve and protect our farmlands is make sure that we start re-examining our agricultural practices and we're not, and we start to not poison the soils and relying on the fertilizer industries now, industrial agricultural industries. Of course we're going to rely on them, billions of people to feed, but they're more... Uh, Organic practices, right? This is what I love the idea of backyard gardening, right? There's, that's a huge untapped resource. We waste so much land space. I go on dog walks all the time, and how many backyards are unused most of the day? And it's a chore we don't like doing is maintaining our lawns, cutting our lawn grass, seed water. It looks nice for a time, but it still is a hassle because then we got to edge it. 
Gardens, we do have the weed there is maintaining, but I feel like they can be easier. It gets even easier when we have these community efforts like we've explored on this show before, like the Neighborhood Resiliency Initiative. That looks like they're into community gardening, like helping one another out within their own backyards, register your lawn. Right, I haven't in the full 100% details from them yet. We're going to get more on that, but that's kind of what it looks like. I've seen fruit tree share projects that do work like that. They'll come and tend to your tree, harvest it for you, and share the fruit around. Put it to use that you might not otherwise have. So huge potential there. It'll protect our farmlands. We'll require less farm if we're growing more of it right here, and then maybe we get some of that into our local corner stores. Not only right now currently have Paps Blue Ribbon, Cora's Light, some sugar snacks, you know, boxed up donuts, beef jerky, fake pee and water pipes, you know. I mean, maybe get some fresh produce and juice over there. Made in our own backyard. That'd be great. Seven is direct development towards existing communities. And this is arguing that, you know, make invest make the most of the investments again. The roads, bridges, pipes, and all the infrastructure that was already there. Concentrate on development in these areas again. And just the argument with this is that we have to re-examine public policies that prevent that from happening. Eight is provide a variety of transportation choices. Make biking, walking easier. Provide more public transit, whatever they are, whatever. I've seen the light rails through cities like Salt Lake. Some of them have like those same kind of trolley things, but with just wheels, not a track system. I saw a presentation out in Park City where they were toying around with the idea of kind of like a public transit thing that used like automated Teslas. I don't know if it was self-driving or otherwise, like an Uber type of system. The idea of instead of having a whole big bus traveling around the city on a on a constant schedule, have like kind of like a little app, you ping it, you know where you're going, and there's kind of maybe a route. I don't know. Like, there are possibilities. There are people working on alternative solutions that it'd be interesting to see see these put on the table before us more often than they seem to be. Now, projects that are going to go ahead, right, like that energy product that or project down in Moab is open for public comment until God, July something, July 9th, I think I saw. But how far along are they in the process already? How How many years have they been developing that or working that before, you know, we found out two months ago that we could submit comments all the way up until July? Thank you for... Is my comment going to stop something that potentially has a lot of time investment and money and resources and, you know, people's signatures on on it? You know, I don't know. I hope. We'll make, you know, make this my public comment. I don't want that energy product down in Mo or project down in Moab anywhere near it. Stop tearing through the rocks and the lands and filling up our streams and rivers with the runoff and toxins that come out of those projects. Please stop. Use the sun that's hitting us now. Right? Nine, they argue to make development decisions predictable, fair, and cost-effective. Back to equality. And now to the point we were just talking, 
right? Make the whole process predictable and fair, right? That there is an already considerable investment in a project before the public can comment. Make it more so the public can understand, so I can understand, right? So I've now gone, gotten a few degrees and read this stuff all the time. There's a lot I don't understand when I start looking at what the hell they're talking about that's going into a project. It's very confusing, so maybe make some of this make a little more sense to to the layperson. What are we really looking at? What are we really talking about? What are the honest alternatives? There is honestly alternatives to the fossil fuels. We've known this for a long time. We've just never taken any real initiative at the alternative. Right? We've never really got behind the alternatives. We do not subsidize the alternatives nearly to the tune which we subsidize the fossil fuel and the other energy industry. And I fear that we won't get to that point until after they have a monopoly on that, right? So this is why I liked having Dan and Dharma on a few weeks ago talking about rooftop solar and home energy efficiency. Here's my thing with rooftop solar and why I think that it's benefit. Uh, you know, we need to get people to put it on now because that is an investment in, in our capital and our roofs and our homes and our property. Right, because right now, if you put on, you are considered an energy producer. You own that infrastructure, right? You own those panels. You bought those panels. You're producing that energy. You're pulling that energy from the sun. Like, they're pulling the oil from the ground. You're pulling the energy from the sun and putting it right into the grid. Right now, you have a good rate because you'll get paid for that in the excess that you produce. When we first came out with solar policies, people were putting up farms because they were making good deal of money just from you know they had land that they could put some of this infrastructure on their own land and make themselves a little profit having their own energy industry their own energy company with solar panels not making a mess out of the 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 rivers and streams that run by these mines nope nope just you can make your argument for the precious metals that go in those yeah fine go ahead but there's a whole lot of metal that goes into bulldozers that dig into the earth. So, you know, in <laughs> the pipes that they have to go drill down and then probably dispose of whatever they do with the miles of pipes and all of that that they pump down into the earth and pull back out, right? Make a good argument. Show me the data all the way around. If you're going to start making those arguments. But what happens is that you can't have your own little energy company. Rocky Mountain Power wants a monopoly on that. So right now they're attacking those those exchange policies. So this is why it's important that, right, if you are into position to get solar, put it on your house now because, A, you get grandfathered into those programs. Until, right, until they force policy changes the other way. But this is the importance of human capital and why it's important that you do invest the money now if you can, right? Don't ever put yourself in a situation where it's going to make it uncomfortable or hurt you. In the end, it didn't make financial sense to me to ever put them on my roof. I would get a whole lot more benefit, save a lot more energy if I did efficiency measures, windows and insulation around my house first. And I'd have an energy bill next to nothing, I'm sure. And I'd be drawing less energy. You know, if I could, I definitely would. If I was in a financial position... I definitely would. I would do all of the above. And here's the reason. Because I own that. Because I had some substantial investment on my part into my own property. Right? A city has to listen to that. 
people have to listen to that because I've been paying taxes. I own my property. I own that infrastructure, those solar panels. I'm producing my energy. I'm producing some of my neighbor's energy. And yes, the company's getting that from me, right? I have to say that I am producing that. And they're going to have to listen to my voice a little more than somebody who doesn't have solar when they go and try to adjust those rates, right? Saying that you no longer get, you know, one for one on credit of energy exchange, or you no longer get 90 cents to the dollar, or you no longer get 40 cents to the dollar. But I'm going to have a lot more say if I have that infrastructure already than if I don't. And I'm like, oh, I want to be able to have that. And be like, well, that ship sailed. But the more people that have the investment already, the louder their voice is going to be heard. And the more upset those people are going to be when their voice isn't heard, which is going to ramp up, uh, hopefully, some policy measures going in our favor. That's my argument for putting rooftop solar on your house now instead of later. And you can always reach out to me, nextstepsustainability at gmail.com. I'll put you in contact with somebody. You can do it, get solar on your roof can be doable with tax credits and all that if that's in your situation. So let me put you in contact with people who can explain it better and have more fun time doing so. Not selling anything here, just good idea, something to think about. And finally, before we go on to the last one, going back to another idea, and that is predictable. Now, if you own solar, you know your power is predictable or your power bill is somewhat predictable because you're producing most of it yourself. So, like, you know transmission fees sometimes you know if you right size your system they call it you know you compensate for most of your electricity you're you know your energy bills a lot more pre predictable and it's a lot more predictable if those policies stay that way because if the energy companies have their way they'll produce all of that free solar energy right they don't have to extract it's coming in free it's hitting the earth already and then they can up the price on you like they do your cable bill, like they do your cell phone bill. They can merge their companies and then they got you. Right? That's how they have you now already because it's just Rocky Mountain Power, right? Unless you live in Bountiful, but then they have you. But if you have solar on your roof, you have you. And if you increase, like as technology gets better, energy efficiency standards increase. Right, if we don't have somebody in office reducing our energy efficiency standards, right? If those are increasing, then the products and the things you bring into your home will be more energy efficient, and then you'll just reap the benefits of those solar panels even more. So, a bunch of reasons to go solar. Again, only if it's in uh, your comfort zone. Don't put yourself out over it, but advocate for it. If you know somebody who will or could. Send them my way, or any which way. Just do it. So they are more like. So we do have that human capital behind policy movements like this. Anyways, finally is to encourage community and stakeholder collaboration in development decisions. Right. This is encouraging us exactly that to put the rooftop solar on. So your your stake held in any of these decisions is more than me who doesn't currently have solar on my roof my voice is a little less a lot less than if i 
shelled out twenty thousand dollars, fifteen thousand, thirty thousand, whatever it cost for the appropriate size system on my roof. If I shelled all that out, yeah, they did. They wouldn't stop hearing from me if it looked like I like all that investment was gonna be chewed up. If my if my predictions, if my criteria changed over their policy decision to pull money from my pocket, you know, and to rake me over the coals and to put a system in place where I cannot provide for myself, where I, right, you say America landed a free free market and I have the opportunity to become my own energy company for at least myself. And you want to kind of intend to put policies that will prevent that? I don't agree with that. So, so... You know, for these ideas, we should be encouraged to collaborate in these development decisions. There is a number of ways we can do this. We can reach out directly to our city officials, public comment. Maybe not right now, not in Ogden City anyways. I guess public comments are not being taken because of the COVID pandemic or something. I'm not sure. Saw something flash again across my screen about that. But I'm sure you can still write into the uh, write into the city, your officials, any of them get their, their emails are public. Nothing prevents you from doing that. Say that you, you know, are, are on board with some of these principles, the smart growth idea. Advocate things, uh, advocate for things that you are a proponent of, that you do get behind, that you do support. If it isn't any of these, I mean, it, it's the schooling in your district. Who knows? You can't get involved, and I think it, you know, it's satisfying, like cleaning out your garage, right? If you write your letter, that's what you can do, and that's all you can do sometimes, right? Where you could voice out even louder. You can show up to the steps of the Capitol. If you want, you got to weigh, right? You got to weigh your risks. You can consult, you know, consider alternatives. Like if I go there, it might be more people with COVID or something. Right? Other things you can do is write to your local uh, news organizations. Send in videos to your nightly news. Write into your local papers, your local magazines. Draft a policy. Make a petition. Do all of that. Come on the podcast. Tell us your ideas here. Organizations like Smart Growth America... They have like an advocacy function and they advocate for like balanced transit. You saw that in a lot of their 10 principles, walkable, make it all up and down the transit line. I agree with that. That is smart. Right? It is smarter than putting in a car wash next to a train station. And then they advocate for building that accompanying infrastructure around that. Right? Those bike lanes, the walkable paths. You know, making sure we're putting adequate shops and living spaces along those routes to encourage more walking and more commerce. The second way is they they advocate for you know financing those very projects and creating the infrastructure that creates those walkable neighborhood and whatever financial tools and vehicles there are and incentives there are i'm not sure i'm not engaged in the policy planning and making that way this is what organizations like this do they have professionals tackle that here's one 
that they advocate for is cleaning up of brownfields. And what this is, is like if they decommission, uh, say, a mining town, right? So a lot of, like a lot of ski communities were built on old mining towns. Maybe consider brownfields. There were a lot of nasty stuff out around there, right? And they developed, they made incentives, tax, and otherwise. I don't know if that's how they did the ski communities, but what they advocate for is creating tax incentives for redevelopment of areas like that. Um, over by Hill Air Forest Base, there's a dump, and there used to be, I guess, a bigger landfill, and they've, you know, put dirt on top of that, and now a whole kind of like little town community on top of that. Back home, there was a landfill near the town or like in town, but like you could see off the highway where I grew up. And they covered that over, and it's a big solar array now. You drive by it. But create tax incentives for redevelopment of areas like that that we've kind of made unusable, right? And the tax incentives are to redevelop, to go in and clean up those areas or, you know, mitigate them otherwise to make it so you could develop on them building on the spaces that we've already touched instead of going on to the new untouched uncharted land and charting it all up and carving it all up and serving it all out leave it intact we've got enough if we make do with what we have if we find creative ways to reuse these things we can no longer go forward with like this kind of scorched earth policy like ah oh, yeah let's dig it up let's you know, get everything we can from here and move on, right? You know, the idea of ghost towns, like these, uh, again, around a lot of these mining communities, extracting communities, kind of common practice. They go and dig whatever they can up, leave the place useless and barren, and a lot of times, you know, poisoned and unhealthy. And they just walk away, right? That doesn't come without a price. So we're there already. If we've already done the deed, stay there, clean it up, reuse that area instead of doing that to another area. No no more of the scorched earth policy here. And finally, they advocate for like tax codes that make sense to, you know, incorporate that balanced housing, that idea of equality. This is what we mentioned in the other day. Like if we can't respect one another as human beings, we're never going to be able to respect the other living things on this planet so that was your sustainability friday hope you learned a little bit on what kind of smart growth is what it should be looking like in our our cities our towns our municipalities our policies should reflect some of these ideas when we turn on the news and see policies going forward i would like to see these policies that would create situations for these 10 principles to like to thrive and i would hope a lot of you would too so hope you enjoyed i'm going to be hitting the road over the next few weeks all the way up till probably july heading back to the east coast and then coming back to utah if you are along the i-80 route hit me up let's catch up let's meet up whatever it is or just throw me some suggestions on places i might want to stop and check out we're going to check out some, I don't know, lakes, camps, nice sightseeing, uh, nature otherwise. Keep me away from people right now. I'm going to visit family. I don't want to bring COVID, so I'm trying to stay outdoors. Anyways, should be back Monday.
another reading. Till then, bye.